Thank you for joining the podcast. We are so happy you're here with us today, especially during this time of COVID-19. We hope you are all safe and practicing social distancing and wearing a mask. So before we get started with the podcast, we want to encourage you to subscribe and also to take in this mental health month with us. We will be pushing out as much content as possible via the Dr. Whisperer and other platforms to make sure if you or someone you know is struggling with thoughts of suicide, you can reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is 1-800-273-TALK. So don't go at it alone. We love you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. So as I have already mentioned in the copy, this is a very exciting day for me because I am bringing you my absolute favorite female physician from New York City. So first, I would like everybody to hear your wonderful voice. Please say hello to everybody, Dr. Cook. Thanks, Karen. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Great to see you. It's great to see you too. So um, just a, a small tidbit, Dr. Cook and I met at the Integrative Medicine Conference in New York City. I want to say it was five years ago, four, five? 2016. It was spring of 2016. Wow. And because this is, you know, the Dr. Whisper is the business of medicine. One of the tips that I give to everybody in business is you have to stand out. So here we were in a room, functional medicine conversation with James Maskell. I went up to the microphone and introduced myself as the doctor whisperer. And then I was, it was just by beautiful coincidence and divine intervention that Dr. Cook and I then met and spoke for quite a long time, right? Something like that. There was, yes, it was divine intervention, but I was, across the conference room and when you stood up and asked your question I say I said to myself I have to meet that woman I have to talk to her and I weaved my way across the room and introduced myself to you and I was so happy that we met because I think we met the next day alone in like a room right and we had a wonderful conversation and we've had wonderful conversations ever since. So for those of you um, that are living in the world today, we know what's happening in New York City. It is a, a very difficult thing to watch um, me being from New York and being very attached to New York always for the rest of my life. But I have this wonderful physician who I know is being a vessel to as many as she can for healing so I'd like to just turn it over to you, Dr. Cook. I want everybody to hear from you actually for the entire, the entire conversation. I've never done that before because I'm only interested in what you have to say. <laughs> I've never done that either. So you, know, you may need to help me a little bit here. Doubtful. Tell so everybody what, what it's been like. Well, let me say that I have not been in the hospital during this 
time. I was an ER physician, as you know, for five years full-time, seven years part-time as a traveling ER doctor, but I have not worked acute emergency since 2002. And from 2002 to 2012, I did work at a hospital urgent care here in the city um, and uh, have not done the urgent care work in 2012. I, since 2012, I started my practice 22 years ago, and I always had other clinical gigs outside, a number of others. And um, when I left the urgent care position in 2012, I decided to just devote myself completely to the practice for a few months, and then I would look for another position. But as soon as I put all my energy into the practice, it went to another level, and so I never took another walk-in position. And um, I have a practice that I love. My original training was in internal medicine, um, and I always thought I was going to eventually end up as a country doctor, and life kept pulling me back to New York. I've come and gone from New York um, four times in my life, but I've been here continuously since 1998 and um and well mention why the pull to being this country doctor that you mentioned i mean you did grow up on a farm that's right i um i grew up on a farm i i love to be in nature and um i i really am a generalist at heart and um, I had ideas of starting a farm clinic. In any case, it's okay that that hasn't happened so far. I'm, I love New York. Um, it's a push me, pull you. But I think New York is a very generous place, a very friendly place. It is the most populous island on earth and the whole world is here. And on any given day in my office, it's common that I have people from the four corners of the globe. And I absolutely love that. Um, very hard to find that in a rural setting. But um, in any case, um, I wanted the emergency room experience after finishing residency because I thought, well, if I end up in the countryside, I want to be able to deal with whatever comes in the door. And um, um, I never intended to stay in emergency medicine permanently, but um, um, I wouldn't trade those years for anything. Yeah. And what I saw, I worked at a level one trauma center here in the city for five years. And whatever people came in with, um, almost anybody who comes, well, let's say the majority of people who come into the ER with chest pain are afraid that they're having a heart attack. Or those who come in with headache are afraid, a new and different headache, they're afraid of a brain tumor, right? Mm -hmm. And um, the imagined illness creates havoc in the body. 
And the vast, the truth was that the vast majority of people who came into the ER, even, even at the level one trauma center, the majority of people came in for medical problems, not surgical. And of those, so much was preventable illness. And additionally, um, right, so much was preventable illness, that's it. And I've, I've always had a strong interest in um, natural modalities, optimization of nutrition. Um, I have not thrown away the prescription patch. Drugs are just too easy when they work. Huh? Yeah. Um, and so um, I, I like the term integrative medicine, drawing from the best of both sides of traditional Western medicine and complementary therapies. But um, in any case, so I, I had the five years experience in the acute ER, and then I took what turned out to be nearly a three-year self-styled sabbatical, working compressed periods of time in emergency rooms, mostly in upstate New York. I worked in the second smallest emergency room in New York State with two beds in the ER. <laughs> I worked at another um, fabulous place, trauma center. The 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 the, um, the the emergency room at the northeast corner of the state, with a catchment area that went out about a hundred miles in all directions. And I did a little bit of work in Indian Health. And at that point. Uh, when I left my full-time ER job here, I said, I want to educate myself in the ways of complementary therapies. I had a very strong attraction to acupuncture always. And mm -hmm. so I, I took a, um, an intensive acupuncture course over the course of a year for physicians um, and began a self-education through seminars in nutrition and botanical medicine because I wanted to bring these other options to bear in practice. I didn't want to just sit there writing prescriptions. And just so I can interject there for one moment, um, I think one of the reasons that what you were doing spoke to me so well was my introduction to the medical world, although not clinical, was New York Medical, which was an Eastern Western company. So we would treat patients, uh, you know, we had the orthopedics and the neurologists and the internal med docs, but then we also had the acupuncturists, the massage therapy, and the physical therapy. So I have always had that same mindset. I was so attracted to that side of it, um, but also, of course, had such a great respect for the science and the fact that you could get a prescription and, and feel better quickly when it was something that wasn't that preventative that you talked about um, originally. So when I heard, when I, I was just so excited when I heard you were also an acupuncturist because what a wonderful collaboration that is in your own practice. So go on, I'm enjoying your story so much. I'm, I'm just going to listen to you. I, I haven't looped back to your initial question about what it's been like to be here during the um, during this time, but um, let me backtrack again for a moment. 
Um, so, yeah, I, I continue to do acupuncture and my practice evolved over time into predominantly um, integrative internal medicine because there were so many acupuncturists on the street at that point in New York, even in 1998. And um, there were not a lot of complementary physicians at that point, not so many. And there was a lot of demand for my services in that domain. And I say that part of what attracted me to internal medicine and generalist medicine are people's stories. Mm. The most important part of diagnosis in clinical medicine is the history. And the assembly line insurance-based system while it has brought some benefit, has completely undercut the doctor-patient relationship and the history-taking process. I, I, precept, I have precepted physical diagnosis at Columbia University with the second-year medical students for 22 years. This year, they gave me a reprieve, and I took a break from it. Right. It was a chunk of time out of the fall semester. And I loved it. Um, but I always tell the students a complete history is the first best cost-cutting method because, of course, what drove so many of insurance company decisions was all in the name of cost-cutting. Okay, so um, in any case, I I love people. You know that, Sharon. I, I love and dogs. And dogs, yes. Yes. Um, and um, I'm very, it's a real privilege to sit where I do with people, to listen to their stories, to, to um, help them with me discern the ways in which their stories inscribe themselves in their health or illness. Right? Carolyn May said it very succinctly. She coined this little phrase, which I think was, was brilliant. Your biography becomes your biology. And there is so much to that. There is so uh -huh. much Yes. Yeah, I love, love, love that. That's so true. Aren't those great words? But the holistic history is just reclaiming medicine as it was practiced, as it evolved um, over, over the course of centuries, and especially as it evolved in the course of the last 140 years as taught by William Osler, the Canadian physician considered to be the father of Western medicine, who wrote the collection of texts called Practices and Principles of Medicine, which I'm looking at over there on my shelf. I have the full collection of volumes. Wow. And so, 
such um, overriding emphasis on the history. Now, we live in a very different world today. Especially and, today. Right? His, yeah. his collection prevailed as the core textbook, textbook of Madison from the 1880s until the Second World War. Incredible, right? But our, our lives have become busier, our world more technologized, right? We have a lot of diagnostic, um, diagnostic tools today that were not available in that era that are fabulous, that have moved us forward. We've gained, or we had gained um, from, from 1900 to 2000 in the U.S., we gained about 30 years of life expectancy. Um, there's some signs that that is turning down over the last few years, perhaps. But, um, but um, where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? Because um, the current situation could drive us more deeply into the reductionistic model and a cookie cutter approach to problems, health challenges, or as I see it, it's, 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 it's holding out a huge opportunity to really fully engage the complementary techniques that are available, so many of which were sidelined for the better part of a century. Many of these approaches are, some of them are slower, they're more time consuming, they're not the quick fix. It demands more engagement on the part of the person to make modifications, the lifestyle, um, that's true in many cases. It's also true that many of these complementary therapies are far less expensive. Yeah, far less. And now with the enormous economic downturn, that has to be taken into consideration as well. So what has it been like to be here? Uh, because I am in the age of risk, a lot of friends, who live outside of the city and some of my patients even expressed surprise that I stayed here and that I didn't go out to the country. But I felt, because so many of my patients really had no alternative but to stay in the city. I've been here for 22 years. I, I leave at every opportunity for an overnight in the country every couple of weeks every two weeks, every three weeks, after three weeks, I typically start going a little stir crazy in the city. But I felt it was important to stay here. I haven't been out of town since mid-March, early March, since the, since the lockdown went into effect. I felt it was important to stay here to hold the energy. And I've been writing a series of newsletters to the patients that I've seen over the last 
most of the patients I've seen over the last 22 years. Mind you, I'm a consultative physician and I'm, I'm strictly speaking, I am not primary care. I have everybody see a doctor outside of insurance because I have never participated with insurance in my practice, with the exception of Medicare, which I did participate with for 21 years. But no, but, more. Hmm? But no more. So those newsletters I have been privy to, and um, I must say, so I, the first one I got, I sent right to my parents. And then I sent it to my husband, because it kind of goes in that order. Parents, husband. <laughs> and um, he knows that. It, is, it was very helpful to them. And I believe that they have been taking on your advice since then. And I would love it if you shared maybe some of the general, uh, the general feelings of your patients from the newsletters that you've been sending out and what, you know, uh, kind of a high level were you speaking of? And I'm, I'm happy to, to share the information with anybody if they request it of me, um, because I'm sure that you would love to get the information out to as many people as possible to help. But you had been sending it out to your patient base, which is a 22-year patient base that, um, of course, was very grateful to receive that from you. So if you could give me some kind of high level overall about it. Um, yeah. Um, there have been so many concurrent pandemics in this time, right? Mm -hmm. A pandemic of fear and anxiety being one of the most visible. Mm. And so um, as you remember that first newsletter, I began with an introduction with the extract from WHO and CDC in terms of what the characteristics of this infection were comprised of as best as was known at that time, or as best as was agreed upon at that time, and referred people to some of the official websites here in New York, the, the governor's uh, recommendations for social distancing, for hand washing, all of this, and also um, I made no pretense at any point that the nutritional, herbal recommendations that I was making were treatments for, for coronavirus. No, but support for immune health, let's say that. Sure. Mm -hmm. And also a lot of emphasis on... Um, um, things to avoid and things to do to lower the anxiety level as well. Um, you would say that that was the biggest overall, that was what was the most evident to you, that people, you needed to go into action about the fear and the anxiety. Fear and anxiety, I have 
as you know, steered entirely clear of politics in these newsletters. I've written six of them so far. Um, I was also struck by the epidemic of confusion and distrust of the authorities, both public and private, public and private. And so um, um, urging people to read critically, to listen critically, to put themselves on a regimen of uh, media time, mm. to spend time in the day without radio or TV or computer, um, and um, to go within, to go within, to think critically, to learn to, I had said to my parents, I was a yoga practitioner for many years, and breathing exercises have been part of my daily life. Breathing meditation, meditation, prayer have been part of my daily life. Gratitude. Right? Gratitude, absolutely. Exercise. This, I know that you all think looking at Dr. Cook right now that she's probably about 45. She's a little older than that. Just touch, but she still climbs her own stairs. And I'm not going to not mention that you don't have one gray hair in that head of yours. And I know everybody wants to know how that's possible. I won't say how old I am, but I'll say I could start collecting Social Security next year, but I really don't want to. You know, we physicians, especially the general physicians, when we come in, we never want to retire. We never want to. I never want to retire. No. But, you know, taking a little bit of thinking about how I'm going to keep it all going here in the city, you know, certainly. But how many um, stairs do you climb every day? I live on the sixth floor of an elevated building and I climb up um, about four times a day, carrying the dog. I say that it's a complete it's a complete workout. It's stretch aerobic and weight bearing. <laughs> I love he won't let me take the elevator. He prefers the stairs. Thank God for people. Yeah, and 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 let me let me say also that you know, in, in terms of the prayer, that's not something I prescribe to patients. It's not something I prescribe to 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 um, I, or that I even spoke of in the newsletter. I did talk about meditation of finding a way quiet the mind, to bring it to a point of focus. But for 22 years in my practice, I've told many patients, if not all of my patients, that if there is one thing above and beyond all else that is most important for our whole health, it's not the food, it's our breathing, it's the breath. And that in itself, is a subject worthy of hours of conversation. And it's very poignant to me that this global pandemic, that the primary point of attack is through the respiratory system. Um, if we don't breathe well, we don't metabolize well. 
And the, the vagus nerve, which is the main nerve that, um, that supplies the diaphragm, is the chief access to the parasympathetic nervous system, the resting, digesting limb of the autonomic nervous system. And you can very immediately lower the sympathetic tone by fully engaging the diaphragm. When I worked in a QDR, a number of times, not always successful, but working with people in the throes of an acute asthmatic attack, putting my hands on their lower rib cage, having them to force, making them force the, the rib cage out, drawing in a breath, could very quickly shift that attack. Hmm. And so, yeah, working with the breath, filling the mind, and um, it's so important. And you know, I I have been practicing myself, and just this morning, I've been doing more um, guided meditations after my workout because I have found it was a choice. It was definitely a, a choice to not have too much quiet in my mind to think about all of the the bad stuff that was going on in the world that's that's a choice to to keep my mental health protective gear on normally when i meditate i'm in quiet and um and i've been laying down meditating versus sitting up straight so this is just you know a, a personal choice for me but this morning I did some breath work, a guided breath work. And at the end, the greatest part about that guided breath work was he said, don't you feel completely different now than you did when you started? And I honestly felt completely different. It really is so important, our breath. So I've decided um, that I want to make this a two-parter. So Dr. Cook, we're going to um, we're going to revisit with you because I think if I can listen to you and I've been so blessed to talk to you um, three times a month for the last four years that I'm quite sure that my audience will want to hear some more from you. So let's let's take a pause for now and um, and bring this back and do this again. But maybe maybe you could um, leave by giving some, some words of, of your beautiful spiritual wisdom that you always give to me, right on the spot. I'm going to tell people to, to um, I want your listeners to connect with their deepest selves, first and foremost, and take time in the beginning of the day before turning on the radio or the television to sit quietly with themselves and center. Yeah. Oh, you've been my greatest gift in doing what I get to do for a living. So thank you so much. Karen, thank you so much. No, you are you're the best. As you know, I've been utterly phobic about doing any videos, so thank you. I'm so, I feel so honored to know you, to love you, to work with you. So thank you. Uh -huh.